0: So, Solomon, here, what happened? What are you so upset about? Don't tell me it's a rugby game that got you all glum. Oh, come on, man. This too will pass. Maybe like a kidney stone, but it will pass. It will pass. We will find the kicker, yes. It's all fine. It's all fine. Jesus is still on the throne, it's all good. I'm sure most of us have heard, maybe even if you didn't enjoy it, which would be a tragedy, have probably heard a symphony or a concert. All of us? In one form or another, even if it's you know, sucky-sucky or something, a squash box. or, We've heard instruments being played, different instruments being played together. And when you listen to the, the whole sound, it's, it's always amazing to me that you can have dis- different instruments, so diverse. You can have wind instruments, strings, percussion, big and small, loud and not so loud. But with skilled musicians and a very skilled conductor, it all comes together in a glorious symphony. I've enjoyed from, from quite a young age listening to all kinds of music. I remember lying on the, on the carpet of our lounge with my dad's valve radio. Behind me, we didn't have, have, you know, ear pods and Bluetooth. So I'd lie on the carpet uh, with this radio just behind me and listen to music for hours, classical music, country music, jazz, pop music. And I'd always be listening for the different parts. And I particularly like doing that in an orchestra piece. Listen for for a clarinet. Can you pick out a French horn? Is that the trumpet? Is that a trombone? the cello, viola, and just listen to how it all comes. So you listen and kind of deconstruct it and then bring it all together. And then when I had my first opportunity to watch an orchestra, I was, I was just buzzing because then you get to see every musician skilled in their craft, engrossed in their music, playing their part, and it all comes together so beautifully. Now, why I speak about that is because when we move into Acts 15, we're going to skip the last bit of 14 because it's just a bit of a travelogue. But when we move into 15, there's a word that jumped out to me here in a passage that records a big event, a watershed event in the early infant church. And it's a word in verse 15. We're going to read a portion of the text Together just now, but it's a word in 15 that I want to highlight because this becomes the reference point, the the axis, uh, the fulcrum, if you like, of what I want to share with you this morning. Verse 15, well, we'll have to take it from a little earlier. Verse 12, the whole assembly, and it'll make sense when you read the bigger section, but the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, who was the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and the head of the church in Jerusalem at that time. James spoke up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, Simon Peter has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets, Old Testament, are in agreement with this. After, as it is written, after this I'll rebuild and return and rebuild David's full intent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known. For ages. Now, the word in fifteen I want to highlight is the word "agreement," which is a very soft translation. It's not a bad translation, but it's a very soft translation. Because when when I looked at the at the the Greek text for this passage, I was fascinated, quite excited, to discover that the word I've got. This is the NIV agreement. What else have you got? Somebody else got another in Acts 15.15? Only agreement. Okay? So it's not a bad translation, but the word is symphony. The Greek word there is symphony. Now that's a special kind of agreement. And what does the symphony suggest? It suggests that while different people in the history of God's revelation, of the unfolding of his salvation story, which is always about his glory. Different people in different times play different parts, but it all comes together in the fullness of Christ and the cross in a glorious symphonic celebration of praise. If you can get your head around that picture, I think it would help us to see how we should be operating as the people of God even as we face difficulties and challenges and trials. Now I could have been very pragmatic with a titan saying how to handle difficult situations, but I wanted to try and be a little more creative than that. And this word sort of inspired me to, to think in that way. And that's why I'm calling this message the world's most beautiful music. Because as beautiful as music is, whatever your style, whatever blows your hair back, whatever you happen to like, the most beautiful music in the world is when the body of Christ across time, Old Covenant, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers are in harmony and playing a glorious symphony of praise. That's our purpose. That's, that's why we've been created, to play this beautiful music for the glory of God and for the nations to hear and to follow. The word symphony, and you can't always do this with Greek words. That's dangerous if you do. Um, but, But they're really, it's made of two kind of, two words. And the one is sound and the other is together. To sound together. That's a symphony. Different, oh man treble clef, bass clef, harmony parts, melody. I'm watching a lot on uh, uh, online at the moment, these beautiful vocal groups. No instruments, just the voices. And with sopranos and tenors and baritones and basses, and just, man, that gets me excited. It's so beautiful to hear that. But we're supposed to be that musical concert of praise to Christ and the world needs to hear that. And as I said, what happens in that, what's recorded in Acts 15 is a massive event in the life of the church. We can't actually overemphasize how significant this event was. It actually had the potential to make or break this infant church that was planted by the purpose of God in very hostile soil in a violently pagan world. It had the potential to devastate the work of the church and the witness of the church. And this challenge and the greatest challenges always come from the same place. This is an internal challenge. This is potential for internal strife within the body of Christ. The threats from outside are real, but sometimes we get distracted And forget that the scripture tells us to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that's our responsibility, that we stand close together. Did you hear the Irish anthem last night? Shouldered? Of course you did. Shoulder to shoulder. That's how we should be. Shoulder to shoulder. Taking our stand. So as we go through this, let's remember that this it's sort of understated in the text, but this is a really make or break. This is a watershed event within the body of Christ and the history of the church, and it becomes for us a template for how we should handle differences. Disagreements. And in a union church such as ours, we come from different traditions, church traditions, theological traditions, and backgrounds, but we must always be united under Christ, and the basis for that is the Word of God. So our focus is always Christ and His Word. And again, that's why the pulpit's always in the middle. It's exactly why the pulpit's in the middle. Not about the preacher but it's about the word of God. So symbolically, we are saying with a pulpit in the middle of the platform that we want to keep Christ's word as our focus under the lordship of Christ. So let me read some more of the text. It's a bit of a longish um, introduction, but it's, it's, I think, important because of the fact that it's actually so easy to gloss over what is actually going on here. So let's go back up. And I'll just read a few selections. I'll try to resist the temptation to read it all, but I might not succeed in that. So here we go. Acts 15.1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're not saying You mustn't believe in Jesus. They're saying Jesus plus, which is always a big problem, exactly. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Again, that's that's even understated the way it's put there. This was a raucous, raucous disagreement. Robust. Dialogue. How's that robust? Remember, I remember once it only happened once that my wife and I were having an argument. You believe that, don't you? <laughs> why? Why not? We were in the kitchen having this, you know, this, uh, this, this, this conversation. But it was it was a bit louder than other conversations, to the point that one of our one of our little boys at the time came rushing into the kitchen, eyes wide and hands like this, because mom was there, dad was there. Mommy, daddy, don't fight with each other. And I said, my boy, we're not fighting. We're just having a strong conversation. This is a sharp dispute and debate. Paul and Barnabas and these, this group that came down from Judea, so the region of Judea, capital being Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Do we need to obey the law of Moses? It's not just circumcision, but that's the focal, part of the point of the dispute, but it's, it's a broader, including the Old Testament law. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. So even on, this is a great thing about Paul and Barnabas and these others, even on the way to a very tense church council meeting, if you like. They were still doing, they were still gossiping Jesus and making disciples and preaching the gospel as they traveled. And they shared that when they arrived. Verse five, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question and after much discussion, Doesn't tell us how long. But after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He's actually referring to Acts 10 and the home of Cornelius. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, Why do you try to test God? Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke, a burden, that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Isn't that interesting? Peter, a Jew, admits that we've never been able to keep the law. We've never been able to do that. So now why are we putting that burden on our Gentile brothers and sisters? No, verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. And that's a portion I read just now. So we jump down to verse 19. Is my judgment, therefore, that though we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, instead we should write to them, and this is so cool, instead we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food, polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What he means there is that the law of Moses is known within the broad Jewish community. So they choose some men among them to go to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose a guy called Judas. Funny people don't use that name, have you noticed? Not a popular name for your kid. Judas, nobody names a kid (laughs) Judas. Nobody uses that anymore. But he had another good name, which is very cool, Bar-Sabbath, which means son of the Sabbath. Well, Bar-Sabbath means son of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the rest of God. So the son of rest, what a beautiful name. And Silas, which is actually just another version of Saul, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. Now, here's the letter they wrote to the Gentile believers. And we have it here in Acts 15. The apostles and elders, your brothers. Simple. To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed. There's a beautiful idea again of symphony. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. And please take note of verse 28. It seemed good to us, or it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, more agreement with the Spirit of God. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Here's the four things. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Short and sweet and to the point. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. This letter, and it's a big chunk of text, the, the, the section, but I just want to focus on this letter because it is so conciliatory. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. And it's so christ Honoring. And it should be the template for us in handling disputes. There are are not a lot of things to focus on, are there? There's an interesting um, way that that letter and those four things are categorized. We might get to that. But let's start to look at some of the bigger ideas that really frame this section and this text because we are called to apply and live according to the word. So with verse 15 and that letter in focus, we need to notice firstly that we're called to live. We are called, that we are mandated, we are commissioned, we are required. We are called to live in harmony with Jesus and each other. That's my mandate, that's your mandate. To live in harmony does that mean we all sing the melody? No, not at all. We have different parts. You might be the tuba. You might be the violin. You might be the drum. Different parts. But we're called, and it, it, niche, it meshes so beautifully with 1 Corinthians 12, the body made up of many parts, 1 Unit, Can you see how this theme is so consistent through Scripture? Here's a few passages that highlight. They were called to live in harmony with Jesus and each other. God is light. In him there's no darkness. 1 John 1 from 5 to 7. God is light. In him there's no darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what a beautiful way to describe discipleship. Truth if we walk in the light as he is in the light, so that's the vertical, we have, it's a given, we have fellowship with one another. We walk in the light, we're in the light with each other. If We walk in the light of God, we're in the light with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So as we're in the light with Jesus and in the light with each other, there's this constant purging. This this spiritual catharsis taking place where God is dealing with our sin and cleansing us as we seek to be in the light first with him and second in the light with each other. The, The converse is also really implied there that if we're not in the light with Jesus, how can we possibly be in the light with each other? Does that make sense? If we're in the darkness because of sin, we're harboring sin, we are. We're holding on to something that's not, it's discordant. It's not in harmony. We'll be in darkness. We'll be out of the light with Jesus, and then we'll be in darkness with each other. And then sin just festers and grows and becomes so debilitating. So walk in the light. Jesus' prayer in John 17, it boggles my mind every time I think about it. Verse 11, my prayer says Jesus in the garden on the way to the cross. My prayer as he speaks to the Father is that they, speaking about us, may be one even as we. How one is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And that's the prayer of Jesus, man. We are supposed to be the prayer of answer to the prayer of Jesus, as we live together, as we worship, and as we serve. Ephesians four. 1 to 17, Ephesians is all about the body of Christ. And Ephesians 4, 1 to 17 is the passage where it speaks about Jesus ascending and descending. It's the victory march picture there. The metaphor there is of a victorious king leading captives in his train. He gives gifts to men. It's he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip the body. To equip the body. To strengthen the body. So that we all reach unity in the faith. Not uniformity. Unity. Harmony. Different parts. But it's a glorious harmony. So that we all reach unity in the faith. And become, listen to this, and become mature and complete Not lacking anything. Wow! If we got our work cut out for us. And then Psalm One Thirty Three: Behold how good and how pleasant it is when the brothers and sisters live together in unity, in harmony. And then there's this picture. It's like the oil of Anointing the priest, running down through the hair, through the beard, on the robe. This the, the 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 anointing oil in the Old Testament. There were special recipes that God gave. You read it if you're really interested. You can read about them in Leviticus. God gave to the priests to mix these oils and the incense. And no one else. You weren't allowed to use those to. No, you couldn't hang the thing in your car or for your rearview mirror. Your donkey or whatever, you could it was only allowed to be used in the temple, and it was the purpose was that it was a it was holy unto the Lord, set apart the Lord, the sweets sweet smelling fragrance, and so this anointing oil, as and they you know they were very um, this is the, the the beautiful picture of worship in the scriptures is it's it's um, exuberant, it's elaborate, it's not one little group here. This oil would pour down the priest's whole body, soak into his clothes, and it carried this beautiful fragrance. So that everywhere he walked, you know, when you smell a great fragrance, it can be a perfume, it can be jasmine. Oh, or yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it grabs you, doesn't it? So imagine the priest walking around, and this fragrance just. Can you see the picture? How beautiful that is? That's the picture. Of us, the people of God, living in harmony with Jesus and each other. And what we often miss as we study the scripture and the picture of the body of Christ is that we we are neither Jew nor Gentile anymore. It doesn't mean we're vanilla. It doesn't mean we don't have any you know, texture and color and character. But in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are in unity. We're not Jews or Gentiles. We're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. If anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. Ephesians 2, God's purpose, Paul says, was to make the two, the ones who are in far away, the Gentile, the ones who are near. You know what they say? is a miss as a good as a mile. So you might be close, but you're not there. The purpose of God in Christ was to bring the two together to reconcile us into one new Humanity. And that is such beautiful music. Behold how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together. But sadly, that's not often the case, is it? I mean, let's be honest. That's a beautiful picture. That's the ideal. But that's not on, on, often the case. Paul, being very sarcastic, and he's duck with the people. 1 Corinthians is, uh, man, it's quite heavy when you get into it. He's, he's criticizing the people for the lack of unity, and he mocks them. He says, of course, there must be differences among you so that you can know who's more important. He's actually being sarcastic. He's playing into it. He's, he's mocking them for the division. The church in Corinth was divided. It was fractured. It was an unholy mess. And he mocks that in verse 11, and then and 1 Corinthians 11, and then he moves into that beautiful section of 12, 13, and 14. Description of the gifts, chapter 12, chapter 14, the explanation of how they operate, particularly the most contentious gifts, which are prom, prophecy and tongues, even still today. And guess what's the beef in the sandwich? Sorry, people, it has to be beef with some mustard and, you know, gherkins. and What's the beef in the sandwich? Love. 1 Corinthians 13. That's the picture of us together. So we're called to live in harmony. We all have different roles, different parts to play, but it must come out in this beautiful blend. You know, some musicians in the past, so-called musicians, have been caught out When it was discovered, they can't actually sing. They were using this technology called auto-tune. So when you're all over the place, it actually brings you onto the note. And when you play those guys without auto-tune, it's a disaster. But the Holy Spirit is our auto-tune. He brings us together. He pulls us together from these disparate views and perspectives. So that we focus on Jesus and we find our lives grounded on the Word. So, secondly, we're called to amplify the unity in diversity of the Godhead. What is the church about? We're called to amplify the glory of God. And God is the, the, the epitome of unity in diversity because we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence, the Godhead. Three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they always work together. You'll notice as you study Scripture, particularly the writings of Paul. He loves doing this. You'll find that that he calls God our Savior, he calls Christ our Savior, and he calls the Holy Spirit our Savior. All of God working together. <coughs> Excuse me. All the time. I didn't shout last night. I promise you. <coughs> Remember that wonderful statement about the Holy Spirit, all of God, all of God working in me all the time, all of God working in you all the time. And this goes right back to Genesis. What does God say in chapter one? Let us make man in our. Now, the image of God is so dense. It's so multifaceted. It's so manifold. That we will never, never completely understand. Not this side of heaven, anyway. We'll never completely understand what it actually means in, in, its, in its beautiful detail. But we do know some things about it. And one of the beautiful things about being created in the image of God is that we should reflect, we should celebrate, we should amplify unity in diversity. That's what God is. He's unity and diversity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always in agreement with each other. They always love each other. They always honor each other. There's this beautiful sort of back and forward flow of love and deference and honor and submission. Look at the cross. Pardon me, it's all happening within the Godhead. It's, it's magnificent. It's magnificent. Actually, when you start to, I mean, as, as amazing as these pictures are, that we're getting it back from space, these galaxies and these, ah, isn't it amazing? The colors, it's just mind-blowing. Why, why are those galaxies way out there, millions of light years away? We've only seen a few. Most of them we'll never see. Why are they out there if we're never going to see them? Ah, it's not about us. Creation declares the glory of God. Creation declares the glory of God. But as we start just to dwell, just to hang around in scripture and think about the magnificence of who God is, and we're just looking through a pinhole. It's more magnificent, more colorful, more beautiful, more profound, more wonderful than anything our human eyes will ever behold. And we're called to amplify that. Unity in diversity, that's our mandate. Let me remind you about Ephesians 3.10, such a key verse for the church in that book that's all about the church and the health of the church. From verse 7 in Ephesians 3. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, what are you talking about, Paul? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. It only came to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, which for ages past, way back there, was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Verse 10, His purpose, His intent, was that now through creation, through his revelation, through what? What does it say? His intent was that now through the church, that's us, through the church, the manifold, the the kaleidoscope, Colors of the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are massive truths, massive concepts. Spend some time in there. Get Not just get your feet wet, just dive in, dive in. Spend time there. Get saturated in the beauty of a God's word what God's word is saying. And we're called, the church is to amplify the glory of God with this beautiful music of of unity and diversity. It's all playing our different parts. Some parts come in at the beginning. Others come in a few bars later. Others play but of a piece or a section somewhere in the musical score and disappear and maybe come back in the finale. It all fits together in God's wisdom. Now, one of the characteristics of cults, and there's more than, my dad would say, there's more than you can shake a stick at. I mean, there's just so many. How do you discern what is a true church or what is a cult? There's a whole bunch of criteria. Let me list list one for now. A cult will insist that we're the only ones with the truth. Don't go anywhere else. They're wrong. God's revealed this to us. We're special. We're the chosen people. It's, It's like, it's always there when you look at a cult. When you break down the anatomy of a cult, you'll always find this and other arrogant Blasphemous statements. We are right and everyone else is wrong. And they insist not on uniform on unity, but on uniformity. You gotta drink, smoke, and chew, just like we do. You gotta wear the same clothes, speak the same, you know. Have you noticed the sort of King James language? I'm not knocking the King James translation, but you know, I gotta speak in this like very sophisticated sort of angelic English. The angels don't speak King James, by the way. But do you, know, do you get what I'm saying? There's this You've got to conform. You've got to fit in, and they force you in all the time. That's definitely not Acts 15. Would you agree? Here's four things. This is it. Knock yourselves out. Love Jesus, as St. Augustine is quoted as saying. Love Jesus and do what you like. Because if you really love Jesus, if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, you'll be in the light. And you'll be in the light with other Christians. I've been, I've been in groups and meetings with other Christians, not in this fraternal, not in this area, praise God, but over time, where they make you really feel like you're a pork chop in a synagogue. I don't know if you've ever, ever you know, you are just not in, buddy. You don't use the same language. You don't believe the same theology. You don't do the same things. You just, you're outside. Hey, I'm glad to be outside of those groups. If they want to exclude me, that's fine. But it's that attitude. That's not what we find in scripture. That's not, is that harmony? No, that's a monotone. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear, whatever you are, happy birthday to you. That's monotone. You know what we used to do as a family? Always we'd burst out laughing. Because my family's quite musical. Um, I'm like the runt of the litter. But we would take a song, like Mary Had a Little Lamb, and we'd sing harmonies to it. And then, the coup de grace, that little exercise was, we'd all sing it as out of tune and badly as possible. Just for fun. It was torture. It was hilarious. But, I mean... I can't, you know, it's hard to listen to. But when we're singing, and you know how to harmonize. The best way for any group, whether it's musicians, vocalists, vocalists, musicians together, you know the best way to harmonize really well is not to focus on your part. You should know your part. The best way to harmonize is listen to the others. And then you start to sing beautiful soprano, the whole scale but listen to everybody else you can transform a choir or a vocal group in five minutes because most people when they sing they think they're on idols or something, they think it's about them you know but just listen to everybody else and suddenly the sound just locks in it just does this Beautiful. I grew up watching my dad lead choirs, and conduct choirs and all kinds of amazing things. Third point, about the most beautiful music in the world. Hopefully you see the theme coming through in the points here. We are called to be a concert of freedom. We're called to be a concert of the freedom we have in Christ. If the Son has set you free... The gospel is about freedom. He's come, I've come to set the captives free. The beautiful declaration in Isaiah 61, Arise, shine, for your light has come. This is the year of jubilee. This is the year of deliverance. This is the year of canceling debt, of setting people free, of returning land to the rightful tribes. It brings everything back into harmony, into concert, into balance. We're called to be that concert. Now, you know, you're probably quite aware, some of you, that I really enjoy Asterix and Obelix. I've mentioned them a few times. Um, And I love the names for the characters in Asterix and Obelix. So the druid, the the medicine man, he's called Getafix. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, um, Asterix, I mean, why is he called Asterix? Because he's this little guy. I mean, Asterix is this tiny little. It's just brilliant, you know. But there's one guy in the village. There's one in every crowd. There's one guy in the village who thinks he's a musician. You know what I'm talking about? Don't you love his name? Cacophonics. Oh, yes, really? Cacophonics. And he always, everything's an occasion, you know, and they beat the Romans somewhere or whatever. He wants to sing, and they always tie him up somewhere. And, and at the end of every, you know, at the end of every one of these stories, Asterix and obelix there they are, surrounded around the fire, chomping on wild boar, you know, his boar, like this. And then, and you'll see, if you look at close in the picture, you'll see over there in the corner, tied up to a tree, is Cacophonix, <laughs> so he doesn't ruin the party. Because he can't play in tune. He can't sing in tune. We would call that the wooden mic, okay? That's the wooden mic people. We had one living next door. It was torture. Um, But there's one in every crowd. Now, are we a concert or a cacophony? Now, I know, and praise God for this, we're all in. Scripture says, make a joyful noise. But when it comes to unity, when it comes to surrender, when it comes to worship, when it comes to mission, when it comes to being the church, salt and light, we should be in concert. Nothing sticking out, discordant, out of tune. Just all flowing beautifully together. I remember reading an illustration of a guy who took a friend of his, and the stage you have in the high school is quite cool. You have a band, you know? And by the time they get to 12th grade, you know, they can actually play stuff. They're marching bands for their football teams and basketball teams and all that stuff. But when they get into junior high, you're just a bunch of kids with instruments. They don't know what to do with the things. And the most terrifying thing is if you're a friend or a parent, you have to go listen to those things. You know, I mean, that's torture. For anybody who's got a bit of an ear for music, that's torture. But you just keep reminding yourself. Allah sallallahu It'll take time and lots of practice, and, and I'll get there. But, you know, I remember when I was taking music lessons. I don't advertise that a lot for obvious reasons. But there was a guy down the hallway that was trying to learn the violin. I felt sorry for him, and I felt sorry for myself. It was painful. It was a cacophony. But if you work at it, and you work at it, and you work at it, slowly but surely, it starts to come. and it's beautiful music and we're called to be a concert of the freedom we have in Christ we're not in bondage we're free and the beauty and the immensity of the freedom that we have in Christ is so magnificent we need to make much of it it stands in contrast to every other faith system in the world and in terms of the letter in Acts 15 four things don't don't meats, uh, eat meat sacrificed to idols because those were always—they weren't—they weren't just a sacrifice to idols. There was orgies. There were sexual orgies there. Don't um, eat mud, blood, meat with the blood in it. Must be drained. Old Testament life's in the blood. Some some people take that way too far these days. Don't eat animals that are strangled because they haven't been butchered properly and and cleaned and everything. And stay away from sexual immorality. That's four things. It's not a lot. There's so much freedom in Christ. And we're called to celebrate that. We're called to be a concert of that. That's God's will for that, friends, is what God is listening for. He's the conductor. He's listening for that from us. That's what he wants to hear. That's what he wants to see. And look at what James says in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I make it difficult. Jesus condemns the Pharisees. Why? Because you go across the sea to make a disciple, and that, that person ends up being twice the son of the devil as they were before you started. Because you've just buried them in legalism. I was shocked and horrified to discover that there are some denominations that actually have departments of church law. People get PhDs in this stuff. How scary is that? There are four things here. That's freedom. And all of these things, we could break it down further there were two kind of concessions made to the Jews and and the other requirements were for everybody. So the blood, uh, meat, blood with... Why do you get that wrong? Meat with blood in it, animals are stra- excuse me, strangled. That's coming from the Old Testament law. And then the other two are included. It's very freeing. It's not a lot of stuff. It's not a lot of stuff. There's freedom. Now let's play that music. Let's celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. As his church, it's what we're called to be. And as we as we as we land this thing this morning, think about the orchestra. Think about think about the symphony. What 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 is your instrument? You know, you remember when you think about these school concerts? There's always a kid with a triangle, okay. And everybody laughs at the kid with the triangle. I don't, because that was me. I was the kid with the triangle. <laughs> so I think they're a legend. And you might only have to hit that triangle once in the whole thing. But you've got to hit it at the right time, don't you? And if you don't hit that triangle at the right time, the whole thing's a disaster. So it seems insignificant and quite funny, but it's actually a very important role. It still has to be in time. And it still has to be in tune. Which part are you? Which part am I? Maybe you think, oh, I'm just the kid with a triangle. That's not unimportant. That's very important. No pressure, kid but the success or failure of this concert is entirely on you. Now, God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't abandon us. He, Paul says, walk in the Spirit. He teaches us the rhythm, the rhythm of discipleship, the rhythm of unity, the rhythm of fellowship, the rhythm of service. And if we just stay in step with the Lord, if we're just the kid with a triangle, we must play our part. And Wiersbe says, and it goes to this, as we deal with our differences as believers, we must ask, how will our decision affect the united witness of the church to the lost? And even greater than that, how will our decisions, how will our actions affect the glory of God? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much for your incredible patience with us. We thank you so much, Lord, that in you we have life, we have hope, we have a glorious. your word is very clear that we are never ever to stand alone we are to be in unity forgive us lord for our our immaturity forgive us for our brokenness may we truly listen to you and listen to each other as we seek to serve you with all we are and all we have Now we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our divine auto-tuner. And it's only you. It's only you that can bring such a diverse group of people, so many different backgrounds, so many different cultures, contexts, worldviews, strengths and weaknesses. It's only you that can turn this into a glorious symphony of praise. And may we do everything within our ability and the gifts which you have entrusted to us to be a beautiful symphony Amen.